This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to People Talk. People Talk is about getting ahead at work, becoming a leader, establishing your personal brand, and motivating yourself and those around you. Hosted by Angela Hall, who has decades of experience working in the field of human resources, you can expect lively discussions about topics like workplace politics, dealing with difficult employees and clients, creating an inclusive workplace, and jump-starting your career. Here's your host, Angela Hall. Hello, this is Angela Hall, and welcome to another episode of People Talk. Every time I'm going to do an episode of People Talk, I talk it over with my husband. He and I've been together for too many years, but um, he's an attorney just like me, and um, he and I usually bounce ideas off of each other, and he said, hey, why don't you talk about the effect of the Biden administration having a new president on the world of work and um, the world of business, you know, as far as like the EOC and like National Labor Relations Board and what it means for employers and workers. And I, and I am going to talk about that. I think it's an important issue. But then I thought, you know what, I want to talk about something that is kind of like closer and near and dear to my heart. Not to say that I'm not you know, concerned about politics and things like that, but, you know, an issue that um, affects the day-to-day for me and a lot of other people um, is the issue of student loans. Like many persons, I paid on my student loans for years, decades. And in the United States, of course, unlike um, some countries like in Sweden and Germany, where um, uh, college education is free, um, we have to pay for it. Either we pay for our children or we pay for ourselves. Um, and so it really affects how our, our finances and how our economy is set up. And it affects it in, in a number of ways. First of all, think about um, the fact that, you know, many people, I just read an article that talked about this, delay home ownership because they're paying their on their student loans um a significant number of people um can't buy a home because they're essentially making a mortgage payment to the student loan uh, whoever the holder of the student loan a second issue is um people are waiting longer to retire because they are not able to spend, uh, save enough money because once again, they're paying the student loans. So there are people who are going to retire like a, you know, uh, old, there are people who are, um, or older than they want to be when they retire. There are people who are living in their mom's basement because um, all they can do is pay their student loans, but they don't have enough money for rent or mortgage because of that. So that's an important issue. That's a societal implications. The other issue is that, you know, I, I was reading a magazine, the HR magazine, about a year ago, but as the older I get, time, you know, starts to like collapse in on each other. So it could have been two years ago. And soon ad it said, why does, let's make up a name, Jane, have $62,000 worth of student loans? And then 
underneath it says so that she could work for you and it made me think of yeah people they go to college and they invest in themselves they turn themselves into a commodity that people would be interested in but um that doesn't come without a price and as employers employers you know they're paying for you know the best talent they they can get and um so you know, the argument could be made that um, employers may, I wouldn't say have a responsibility, but be able to attract the talent that you want to attract is to help with student loans. So, I mean, they're traditionally, I mean, for many years from the time I could think of my brother having a tuition reimbursement when he was working and going to college simultaneously, he was working for um, Time Magazine back in the 70s and at the end of the semester he would submit his grades and his tuition receipt and he would get reimbursed okay but then more recently we're having the tuition i'm sorry the, the student loan reimbursement like jane in that ad she has her sixty-two thousand dollars worth of debt and you know for her to be um, you know, to want to work for you as opposed to working for somebody else, if you can attract her by saying, hey, we'll help you pay off some of these loans, um, that's um, a, a great thing, um, a great way to attract people. And now, um, uh, recently, the um, act that allowed um, about a little over $5,200, I think it's $5,250 to be paid by the employer um, to the employee on um, as far as uh, tuition reimbursement or um, um, student loan re uh, repayment that being uh, tax-free, that was extended for um, five years with some COVID, uh, COVID uh, relief aid package that was recently passed. And so um, employers have motivation to do it. Employees, of course, have the most motivation to receive it. And um, those are some things that employers should really think about if they want to attract the best talent. And you may say, well, hey, we are in a labor market where people are desperate to get jobs, especially um, college grads. I mean, the, you know, there aren't as many job openings as there were before the pandemic. They should be grateful for what they get. Well, do you want a worker who's stressed out? Do you, do you want a worker who doesn't feel a sense of commitment to you? Do you want to have a worker who has to work another side job delivering groceries for shift because he or she can't pay for your pay for their student loan? Um, do you have do you want to make yourself be an employer that leads the market as opposed to lags the market? Are you the type of employer that the best talent wants to work for? So these are things to think about when you're doing that. And it could also even be that you don't want to lead. If the, um, um, the other employers who are attracting talent from your same talent pool are doing this, you may have to be, you might have to offer these things just to have that, to keep that competitive advantage. Um, student loans repayment can make it so that someone wants to continue to work with you. And so it can cut down on turnover. It can also be um, a situation where 
um, you know, you can um, attract people who have that, uh, the, the, the degrees that you may want to see them have, such as, um, you know, like a master's degree, uh, and in addition to the um, undergraduate degree. So speaking of education, and speaking of master's degrees, is it worth it to get a master's degree? Well, I come from a school with a very successful um, master's of HR program, um, a, a human resources and labor relations program. And I think we have a good program that produces a real good quote unquote product or students. I mean, they do well and they're successful. And many of them, very many of them are VPs of Fortune 500 companies. And, um, but let's even talk about this. Let's not even talk about the masters of HR because there aren't there many schools that have that. Um, Cornell has that. Um, we have it. Illinois has it. Let's talk about traditional MBA. Is the MBA worth it? Well, the answer would be mm, depends. Um, is it something that other people who are going through the same career path that you want to follow? Do they require an MBA? Are your bosses or senior management telling you that you need to go get an MBA? Um, does it align with where you'd like to be in the future? Will it derail you in the sense that you won't be able to concentrate on work commitments and family commitments? When I, I taught an MBA program at UT San Antonio and in Florida State, and I can tell you, I had a bunch of MBA students who work full-time and came to the MBA program after work and they look like zombies. They were tired. They're working 60 hours a week doing the MBA. A lot of them had families. Are you willing to put yourself through that? Are you, or do you feel capable of doing that? Those are the questions you need to ask. Will your company um, uh, give you tuition reimbursement? Um, I went, when I was teaching at UT San Antonio, there were a lot of people who worked at USAA, which seems like a fantastic company to work for. And you read about it in textbooks and just talking to, um, talking to my uh, students who work there, they're very pleased by how they um, were treated at USAA. I remember it has a beautiful campus and I would see little deer like prancing around and, and it was, it was really, it was really cute. But um they had tuition reimbursement. And so a lot of them were getting their degrees. So does it, it makes a difference whether you have to pay for it if somebody else has to pay for it. Also depends on the school. Um, a Harvard MBA, mm, I would say it's worth it. A University of Bob uh, MBA, mm, probably not. Um, for a lot of people, the MBA is just going to be some extra letters after their name. But going to a high price MBA for a school that doesn't have like a, a good reputation is probably not worth it. All things being equal, if you're going to go to an MBA program at a school that it doesn't have a rep, not, I'm not going to say reputable, because if they're accredited, they're, they're reputable, but doesn't have a high um, uh, you know, like a highly ranked MBA, it might not be worth it. It might be better to go to try to find like that um, public institution that's nearby and see if you can get in their uh, MBA program, even if it's not like the flagship university of the, of the, of the, um, of the state, you know, so you, you might not be able to go to um, University of Illinois, but maybe you can go to like one of like, like the smaller state colleges to get your MBA. 
those are some considerations to think about. So let's even go back a little bit further in time. Um, for those of you all who are thinking of MBAs, about college. Is college worth it? Well, you know, college is worth it in the sense that um, studies have shown that for women and for people of color, that um, going to college is worth it in the sense that things are a lot worse off for people of color and women if they don't go to college. In fact, we're seeing more and more women, of course, go to college at higher numbers. I, uh, if you look at historically black colleges, a lot of them have a real disproportionate number of women over men, but even pre predominantly white colleges uh, or pre predominantly white institutions, PWIs, um, you see a lot of, of uh, you see a disproportionate number of women. And in fact, something that a lot of people don't know that it, if, if many colleges did not practice a form of affirmative action, you would see many more women on campus than on men. But it makes sense to keep a balance between men and women. You don't want to have a society where one gender is educated and the other gender is predominantly not educated. Why is that the case? Because women oftentimes do better in school from the time they're young. There are some studies that suggest that women are um, socialized from their young to be to be less active, they are more um, like, uh, I don't want to use the word compliant because that's a pejorative term, but they're more likely to listen to the directions of their, of their teachers, do their work. Boys historically don't do as well in school from, from kindergarten to ele through elementary school, through high school. Not to say that they aren't brilliant guys. Um, I have a research assistant who works for me, who's an undergraduate guy. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. But in general, um, women typically do better on average than men do when it comes to the lower grades, um, um, high school, and then college. But then it's interesting, by the time you get to grad school, the performance of men and women are usually about the same. But what's happened is that the guys have lost all of those years. And so it's a matter of catching up. Um, that There's some people who, have, who suggest that uh, boys only schools, of course, for little kids because they think boys learn differently from girls. I mean, I am not an educational psychologist, so I can't really get into that debate, but the, 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 the uh, long and short of it is that on average, that you'll have more women who are getting the high grades than men. And so as a result of that, you have more women who are going to college, you have more women who are going to grad school, like if you said, you go to vet school at, at, at Michigan State University, there's so many women. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if 90% of the class or more were female. I know um, um, there have been years when the class has been almost entirely female. Um, 
but it has to do also as well that, you know, once you get to it's about age 25, the prefrontal cortex, that's the part of your brain that is responsible for judgment and decision-making. It is fully developed in both men and women. Women, I guess, have an evolutionary reason to grow up a little bit quicker than men for a variety of reasons. And including the fact that uh, we are the gender that bears the children and um, it, throughout uh, evolution until recently, women would have children young because you weren't going to live young. So you had to re you had to reproduce before you died. And so um, you have w w all, like all these women who are excelling. But the, the, the interesting thing is that so you have women who are going to college in higher numbers. Um, and they know that if they don't go to college, that their outcomes with them will not be as good because when they don't go to college, the type of jobs that they get are jobs like cashier, clerk, low paid jobs. Men also have the additional opportunity to um, a lot of times to get into trades that women historically have not had. And these jobs like being a plumber, being an electrician, um, um, oftentimes being a mechanic play a lot higher, uh, higher uh, pay. And so as a result of it is that um, women have been greater incentivized because they know that those opportunities for them typically are not there. Um, interesting study too, that shows that for um, a, for people of color, going to like the Ivy League schools and stuff has really exponential value for them over even um, uh, non-persons of color for, for majority members. Um, and, but going to, if you have a, a, a woman and a man who go to college, or if you have a person of color and a non-person of color who goes to college, um, being a woman doesn't make you earn higher than the man and being a non-person of color, uh, being a person of color doesn't make it so that you earn more than the white person who went to college. So you still see disparities, whether they be a systemic discrimination, whether they be um, the, the jobs that people sort into, I don't know. I'm not an expert in that area, but I can um, tell you that there's like, there's massive data that shows these things. So what is the, the cut to the chase, Angela? You, you, you've beaten this horse long enough. For women and minorities particularly, going to college, going to grad school reaps um, results, even, um, even more so than it, would, than it would occur that if they didn't take these educational opportunities. But the consequence of this is that you have women and minorities being saddled in debt more. And, you know, getting into student loan debt, I mean, the way the interest is amateurized and um, um, student loans, you can be paying on that seems like forever, right? There are programs like if you go work for the public, you know, work for the government, public interest, that you could have student loans um, paid, your government student loans. But the, the reality is many, very few people have been able to get their loans uh, paid off from those programs. Um, and so that is an issue. There are some schools, some grid schools, some Ivy League schools, for example. Um, I believe, I want to say that it, it is University of Pennsylvania, but there are some schools, they're law schools. If you take a um, public interest job after you graduate from the law school, 
they will pay off part of your student loan for every year that you work in public interest. There are schools that have done that historically. I don't know if they're changing that since uh, the pandemic has affected universities greatly, but they've had, they had a program for that for very, very many years. But essentially know that if you borrow it, um, you're probably going to have to be committed to pay for it. Uh, you cannot declare bankruptcy and get rid of a, a government student loan. Um, uh, it might be a little bit different for a private student loan. And it's interesting, um, I was doing some research in contemplation of doing this podcast, that for, um, you know, back people my age, you know, I'm in my early 50s, um, private student loans were pretty unheard of. You, you either borrowed enough to go to school from the government, which had low interest, or you didn't borrow, you didn't go to school at all. But in in the in starting in like you know late '90s, early 2000s, there are all these private student loan companies that have come up, and so it's and also the minimum uh, or the maximum. Uh, federal student loan that people could borrow, that has gone up. So people have become incredibly uh, more in debt because there's more money that is potential, that you can potentially borrow. Um, and so, you know, it's like almost like you give someone enough rope where they can hang themselves. So on the one hand, there are greater opportunities because more colleges are available to you. For example, I had gotten into a law school, but I didn't go because I could not borrow enough money to pay the tuition. Even if I borrowed the maximum federal student loan money, it still wouldn't have covered my tuition. So I went to a law school where I got a fellowship, so I didn't have to pay any tuition. But um, even if I did have to pay the tuition, I could have covered it on the student loan. So um, that's kind of a, I mean, I think it's important to know the historical context of student loans so that we can kind of disentangle and think, how did we get here? And what's college cost so much, you may ask? Well, part of it, you may say, you faculty members make a lot of money. Hmm. Yes and no. They're the haves and have nots. They're people who make good salaries, like in engineering, people in business schools, um, people in medical schools oftentimes even don't make a whole lot of money. But the reason why um, there's such a high cost in tuition are like two things. Well, three things. The first reason is um, back in the day, even like in the 70s, um, for, let's say for state institutions, um, the taxpayers used to foot a lot of the bill. A lot of the money that came to, to support the colleges um, came from, um, came from uh, appropriations from state government. Well, now um, institutions like Michigan State, instead of getting 30 or 40 percent of their, um, of their uh, budget from the government, it gets like one or two percent or something like that. It's very, it's, it's minuscule. So then you have that. The second issue is that you have um, a lot more administrators. And you can look in any department, uh, my department, any other department. There are a lot of staff people that you never used to be there. Back in the day, you only had a, a department secretary, maybe, and that's it. Now there are advisors and counselors and there, there's marketing and there's this and there's that. And that raises the cost. The third thing is that Universities have spent a lot of money to increase the university experience. So 
I don't know if it's true, but this is what everyone says. We have a we have a dining hall on MSU's campus called Brody Hall. And people say that it is the largest um, dining hall that is not on a military base in the United States. It has everything. It has, um, you know, all these different stations, uh, pasta, uh, uh, sushi, everything on there. And to have things like that, that'll track the students to make them have a good experience, it costs money. I'm not saying that these things shouldn't be the here, be there just like I'm saying like all the things that we do to support students like finding them jobs and having like career people for them I'm not saying those things shouldn't be there they're valuable but the reality is that they cost money and um, the, the reality is is that the money has to come from somewhere and some and then a lot of that has to come from the tuition and uh, something else that people sometimes forget is that there's a difference between the cost of going to college and your tuition. I'm gonna say that again. There's a difference between the cost of your going to college and your tuition. The cost is how much it costs to educate you. Everything, you know, everything that's involved in educating a student. The tuition is how much you pay. Oftentimes the tuition you pay is a lot less than the cost. Of, of educating a student. So the university has to do other things like teach executive education classes or have sporting events or like sell university um, um, licensed uh, apparel or things like that. So that's another um, consideration to think about why college tuition costs so much. But Maybe I'm biased, but I do think that because I'm an educator, I work at a university, um, going to college is worth it. Definitely the four years. Going to a, 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 a master's program, it's important. It can be important too. You got to choose that program very carefully and decide whether it's worth the money uh, or not. A final thing is between going to a really expensive private school and going to a moderately priced public school, um, it you know it depend it, it depends. If you're going to Harvard, if you're going to Yale, I would say that's always worth it. If you're going to an expensive private college that no one has ever heard of and that the average person graduating. Uh, makes like $5,000 a year, then it's not worth it. You need to look at a bunch of different factors. Um, you, need to con you need to do things, not only look at the US News and World Report, um, but you need to do things like um, talk to counselors, talk to graduates, uh, be a savvy consumer. That's really important. A lot of times people spend more time investigating what kind of car they're gonna buy or house they're gonna buy then they are their um, their their educational um, in investments, and knowing that when you invest in education, you're investing yourself, and I mean that's like the greatest investment, right? So I know I talked about a lot of things today, and I hope that you all are not swimming in your eyeballs in debt, and I hope that I gave you some guidance that you cannot that you can use not only for yourself but maybe for your children and for things for you to think about if you're an HR manager uh, trying to think about whether you're going to offer that um, tuition reimbursement or student loan uh, re reimbursement benefit. Well, thank you for joining me for this episode of People Talk. Please join me next week. New episodes drop um, pretty much every Thursday. Take care and be well.
Thanks for listening to another episode of People Talk with Angela Hall. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues, and remember to subscribe to our show. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, and visit cxofm.org for more resources.